There's a, um, there's a sign many of you have probably seen. It's begun to pop up all around. And it has written on it this creed. You might have seen this at your neighbor's house. In this house, we believe, and it doesn't say, in God the Father, Almighty Maker of Heaven and Earth. It says, in this house, we believe black lives matter, women's rights are human rights, no human is illegal, science is real, love is love, kindness is everything. And we all know what these statements mean, don't we? They aren't just the truisms that they appear to be. These are political statements. They mean something more than what they say. So, so when you see that sign and it says, we believe that black lives matter, it doesn't mean that black lives matter. What it means is, we believe there are intentional systems put in place by the majority class, and those systems are meant to oppress people of color, and we ought to dismantle those systems no matter the cost. And when you see women's rights are human rights, it means women ought to have free and unlimited access to abortion. And when you see no human being is illegal, it means more than that. It means we ought to have open borders. And when you see science is real, it means we ought to do whatever scientists tell us to do. And when you see love is love, it means love is sexual and all sex ought to be celebrated. And when you see kindness is everything, it means if you believe these things, then you're a kind person. And you ought to be a kind person. So regardless of how pretentious these signs are, each of these beliefs has built into them something I want you to notice. Each belief implies an ought. O-U-G-H-T, ought. The beliefs are not just empty aphorisms, are they? All of, these, all of these statements in themselves, if you just read the signs, each of those statements in themselves all has Christian roots. But the words have been manipulated politically by secularism, and they've been given new meaning, and so they bring about non-Christian moral consequences. So, so let's just take an example. If you believe science is real, and by real, they don't mean just not fake. They mean science is authoritative and without error. Then, then the consequences, consequence is this. Because it is authoritative and without error, then you ought to do whatever science says, whoever science is. If, if science says wear a mask, you do it. If science says get a vaccine, you do it. If science says don't eat beef because of climate change, you stop eating beef. If science says there are two biological sexes, male and female, well, you ignore the science. But, but the point is, creeds motivate what we do, don't they? Creeds motivate what we do. For, for the people who hold this new secular creed, at the very least, those beliefs motivate them to put a sign in their yard and vote according to their beliefs. Hopefully for us as Christians, the impact of what we believe when we confess the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or when we confess anything in God's Word, hopefully 
that impact goes a whole lot farther than a sign in our yard. Our, our entire lives ought to be affected by what we, what we believe. Think about what, what Josh showed us last week when we, when we saw that God is Father. When we say we believe in God the Father, how does that affect our life? God the Father is Father because he is eternally Father to the Son. But he isn't only Father to the Son, is he? He's also Father to us. Because God is love, he sent his Son to die in our place, and he caused the Son to be resurrected, and he seated him at his right hand as the Christ who would reconcile all things to himself. And the Father and Son sent the Spirit to us to cause us to be born again into Christ and so be adopted as his children. His, his fatherhood to us means salvation for us. We're his children. And when we confess that, then we ought to live as his children. Do you see how the belief implies an ought? We ought to live as his children. We ought to live as those who belong to God because we do. Our belief that God is our Father absolutely affects everything in our lives. And what we're going to see this summer as we go line by line through the Apostles' Creed, every we believe statement, we're going to see that every single one of these beliefs implies an ought. This week we're confessing we believe in God the Father, Almighty maker of heaven and earth. God the Father is almighty, and God the Father is maker of heaven and earth. So two questions that we're going to look at today. What do these statements mean? And what effect should these beliefs have on the way that we live? What does it mean? What effect should this have on us? What does it mean to say we believe in God the Father almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And before we answer that first question positively, I want to make it clear what we're not saying. All right? So when we say God the Father is almighty, we're not saying God the Son isn't almighty or God the Spirit isn't almighty. In Revelation 15, verse 3 and 4, I think we have this one on the screen. Here you have the multitude who have endured suffering. They've remained faithful to Christ. They're in heaven. They're singing to the one, John tells us, called the Lamb. Who's that? We know that person to be Jesus, the Son, the one who died for us and was raised again. And here's what they sing to the Son. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So the Son, S-O-N, the Son, is praised as Lord. He is praised as God, as Almighty, as King. He's, he's glorified as God. He is holy as God is holy. He is worthy of worship, and he is righteous. The Spirit, likewise, is is synonymous with the, with the power of God. When Jesus was anointed with the Spirit, he is said to, as a result, have the power of God. 
the mightiness of God. Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Spirit is almighty. All three persons of the Trinity are almighty because God is almighty, and the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. And all three persons of the Trinity are active in creation. So look at Psalm 33, 6. We read this one earlier. Mike read this for us. This, this might have gone right by you because you don't quite notice it in Old Testament context. But in the New Testament, this, this verse means a lot to us. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. So who is the word of the Lord? The eternal son. John 1.3 says of the word of the son that all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And the breath of God, so the word is the son, active in creation. The breath of God is the spirit. When, when Jesus breathes on his disciples in John chapter 20, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. All throughout scripture, God's breath and the Holy Spirit are aligned with one another. So, so when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we're saying something that on the one hand is very simple. God the Father is Almighty. And God the Father is maker of heaven and earth. But, but we need to realize this. When we say that, when we begin to speak of, of God, especially in his creative work, creation work, we are treading into unfathomably deep waters. And we have to realize that we cannot separate God's work in creation into parts. All right, so God is one. He is perfect in unity. God is creator. It would be grossly oversimplified and unbiblical to say something like this. The thought of creation originated with God the Father. Then the thought moved to the, the breath and began to move, and that was the spirit, and, and then the breath empowered the voice, which is the son, as if they were parts to be divided. God is, is not Zordon from Power Rangers, where the red ranger controls the computer, and the yellow ranger controls the mouth, and the pink ranger controls the arms. Listen, anything that, that God thinks is a thought of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, because God is one. He has one mind. And anything God says is speech from God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. There are, there are not sequences of events within God. Because God is eternal. He's outside of time. So do you see, just as we begin, do you see how we can kind of get into trouble if we start separating the work of God in creation? Are you kind of wishing you had one more cup of coffee? <laughs> so, so here's the qualifier as we begin. This is a, all a qualifier, parenthetical introduction for what we're going to be looking at this morning. When we say, as a church, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, everything we say that is true about the Father and the work of creation is true about God. So, 
in order to reduce any confusion for the rest of the morning, I'm mostly just going to say God in regards to Almighty and Creator. And I hope you're okay with that. All right, so let's get into some more definitions here. What do we mean when we say Almighty? What does that mean? Well, if we were to read the Creed in Latin, we would say he is omnipotent. You've probably heard that before, right? Omnipotent, from the three omnis of God, God is omnipotent, he is omnipresent, he is omniscient. When we say God is omnipotent or almighty, we're saying he is all-powerful. God can do and God will do all that he intends to do. Nothing can hinder God's will. And we see this truth about God all over Scripture. It's everywhere. I've selected just a handful of them for us to look at this morning. Let's start in the Psalms. Psalm 115, verse 3. And you have it in your handout, and we're going to put it on the screen. If you'd like to open your Bible, you can, but you've got to be really good at sword drills to keep up. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God is almighty. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 135.6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Where? Just in a select location? No, in heaven, which is everything outside the earth, and on earth, in the seas, and all the deeps. What are the seas and the deeps? These are those places where the, the, the early people thought that that's where all evil came from. The psalmist is saying, oh, the Lord pleases and does all that he pleases, no matter where you are in creation. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. For I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, Things not yet done. And look at this. Saying, my counsel shall stand. And I will accomplish all my purpose. See that same idea? Dustin read for us for a call to worship from Daniel chapter 4. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, you see this back and forth between God and, and Nebuchadnezzar at the beginning. Nebuchadnezzar thinks that he rivals God, and God over and over again shows him he does not. And this is Nebuchadnezzar's confession of who God is after losing yet another battle with him. He says, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And here it is again. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. That's everybody. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? It speaks of God's power, his might. Why can the Lord do all that he pleases? Whenever and wherever and among whomever. Because he is all mighty. He is all-powerful. That means there is no thing, there is no spirit, there is no will outside of God that can possibly limit God or does ever limit God. There is nothing that stops God from accomplishing his purposes. 
If God wills to do something, he does it. He is almighty. There's no greater power. That's what we're confessing. When we say, I believe in God, Father, almighty. This is not just an Old Testament idea. God doesn't change between the Testaments. God never changes. His, his might never changes. He doesn't cease to be almighty. Ever. We see this expressly in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. In him, speaking of Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian church. He's talking to other Christians. In him, Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of who? Him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God works all things according to the counsel of his will because God is almighty. Look at that again. I really want this to sink in deep. This is that bit about God's almightiness that affects how we think and how we live. So don't miss this. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. So, so let me twist it around. Let me ask you this question. What is the source of God's actions? Is it something outside of God? Does God ask our advice for anything he does? No, there is nothing outside of God himself that affects God's will. Not even our will. Does God defer to, to our will in his purposes? He does not. That would be foolish. And God is not foolish. He works according to the counsel of his will. And, and that's even how we should understand what the Holy Spirit is telling us here in Ephesians 1 about predestination. That, 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 that word that trips many of us up. It says, in Christ we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined. That means that our destiny is in Christ. Our, our salvation was ordained before time began. And in what way are we predestined? Well, according to the purpose of him. Who? God the Father, the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So all things then, put last week and this week together, all things, including our adoption as children of the Father, all things are ordained and predestined and purposed by God according to his will. Because whatever the Lord does, whatever he pleases, he does. Whatever the Lord wills, he does. Whatever the Lord purposes, he does. Look back at those verses. And if that bothers you, and I admit that there was a there's a point in my life where this bothered me to no end. But I want you to do something. Just a little thought experiment. Look again at those passages. They're there for you in, in, in your bulletin sermon notes. All of those passages that point to God accomplishing his purposes. And I want you to ask, is the Bible true and I'm wrong? 
or is my opinion true and the Bible was wrong? Is the Bible true and I'm wrong about who I think God is and how he acts, or is my opinion, my experience more reliable than God's word? See, listen, growing in maturity as Christians, being sanctified, growing in holiness, means more and more saying the Bible is true and I'm wrong. And then seeking the Lord's help and trusting him. As long as you hold your opinion of who God is above how he's revealed himself, friend, listen, you will be greatly hindered in spiritual growth. You cannot grow closer to someone whom you do not trust. God is almighty. Everything he purposes to do, he accomplishes, including our salvation. And what affords God that privilege? That's our next question. Well, he's almighty. And if we were to ever have any doubt about his power and his might and his privilege to accomplish all he purposes, we're to look to creation to be reminded again, God is almighty. That's why we say, I believe in God the Father almighty Maker of heaven and earth. Those two ideas are inseparable. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Speech about who? God. Knowledge about who? God. Creation declares the glory of God. We would say creation declares the power of God. We see this in Romans 1 as well. So we get Old Testament, Psalm 19, New Testament, Romans 1, verse 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them. That Who's them? Everybody in creation. Every human being. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, which is his almightiness, and his divine nature, his godness, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So how are we to know God's power, his almightiness? Through creation. All we have to do is look at the sky. And then Paul goes on to say, so they are without excuse, which is to say, when you see creation and you deny God, you are without excuse. We know that God is because of what he has made. And we know that God is almighty through the wonder of what he has made. And God made everything. And this has massive implications that we don't often think about. Oftentimes, our, our thoughts about creation go to, is creation Young earth or old earth, did God do it in six days or did he do it longer? We need to think bigger than that, okay? This has big implications. When we say that God made everything, because God made everything, that means he made not just all physical things, he made all spiritual things as well. That's what is entailed in maker of heaven 
All the hosts of heaven are included in that. He made all that is in heaven. That means that God made every being that is in heaven or that ever was in heaven. Every being. You know where I'm going with this. Every angel, every spirit, every ruler, every authority, principality, every cherubim and seraphim, those strange looking things with lots of eyes and wings and arms and that fly around God's throne, God made them all. And as Almighty, don't forget, Almighty and Creator go together. As Almighty, God rules over all created things. That includes Satan. That includes demons. And that is relevant to how we think about false religions, even. The Bible says that many false gods are not actually gods, but are demons. See this in, in 1 Corinthians 10. We see it in, in Deuteronomy as well. But 1 Corinthians 10, 19 through 20 says, What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, this is, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, led along by the Holy Spirit. He says, No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. Now, the context of this is, Another sermon for another day. But, but what I want you to see here is that God made all spiritual creatures knowing full well that they would at some point oppose him and lead millions and millions of, of people into idol worship. What do we do with that? Some people, believing that they're defending God's integrity, and I think the motivation is right here, they would say, well, God valued the free will of his creatures above his own purposes. And so when angels turned on him, he simply shrugged his shoulders and said, oh, shucks. Wish they would have done that. And from a human perspective, I understand why, why we might want to view things that way. But does the Bible ever say that about God? It doesn't, it doesn't even hint. Instead, the Bible says over and over and over and over again that God is almighty. Just, just look, you search almighty in your, in your digital Bible and see how many times it comes up. God is almighty. All that he purposes, he accomplishes. And he rules over all creatures, including those demons. In the book of Job, just for proof of this, Satan has to seek God's permission to torment Job. Read Job chapter 1. Job chapter 2. In the book of Luke, we see the same thing. Satan demands to sift Peter like wheat. In other words, what does he want to do? He desires to disqualify Peter from service to Christ. But, but what that demand shows us, that demand of Satan is subject to God's greater purposes. In the very next verse, Jesus tells Peter, Luke twenty two thirty two. 32, but I, Jesus speaking, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And we know what happens to Peter. He fails temporarily, repents, and he strengthens his brothers. God's greater purposes are met despite Satan's work. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Some things, all 
God works all things according to the counts of his will. Even Satan, even the demons are subject to the rule of God and the will of God. So, listen, so, so while God is not evil, and we could never possibly say anything like that of God, there are evil beings underneath his authority. And those beings are in active rebellion against him. And yet they do not, and they cannot thwart his purposes. We need to hold those truths in tension. We can't fully understand what God is accomplishing through his good purposes. And we can't fully understand how God is being glorified sometimes. We may not see it. We may not see it in our lifetime or ten lifetimes after. And yet he is. We do know this as well. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we know that God has begun a new creation in Christ. In Christ's short time on earth, how did we see him working against evil? In Christ's short time on earth, we saw his power over evil as he cast out demons. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. We saw his, his power over death when he himself was resurrected. And we know with confidence that even now Christ is reigning and that through him evil is being conquered and all is being brought in submission. And so listen, we may think right now, we may, we may be troubled by this, we may have doubts, we may think right now that God is slow. That he, he's been very slow in bringing about a new creation that is devoid of all evil. But we can trust that because God is all wise and he's all knowing, because he's love and because he is righteous and gracious and merciful, in other words, because he's God, then what seems like slowness to us, this is to use Peter's words, what seems like slowness to us must actually be God making known all the more his grace and his mercy and his righteousness and his love and his wisdom. J.I. Packer puts it this way. Let me read you his quote. He says, If God moves more slowly than we wish in clearing evil out of his world and introducing the new order, that we may be sure is in order to widen his gracious purpose and include in it more victims of the world's evil than otherwise he could have done. God has created all that is, including Satan and his demons. And yet, because he is almighty, he has sovereign control over these things. They cannot thwart his good purposes, and they will not thwart his good purposes. Second thing that we need to understand when we confess God is almighty and he is creator is that we are his creatures. Not the other way around. God made us. He's the potter. We're the clay. As the Spirit teaches us in Isaiah and in Romans, the clay doesn't form the potter. The potter forms the clay. So every single aspect of who we are is created by God. All, every bit of who we are is created by God. He created our strengths. He created our imaginations. He created our weaknesses. He created our limitations. 
God created our emotions, our, our thinking processes. Our entire psyche is made by him. He even created our will. So, so that means that God created that bit of us that believes we are asserting control over our own little domain. Think about that just, just a minute. Don't hurt yourself. Just, just think about it for a minute. God, God created that bit of who you are that chooses chocolate or vanilla at the ice cream stand. He, he created that function of us, wherever that is, where desires come from. That little bit that was inside of your parents that chose to bring you into the world. Made by God. They were made by God. You were made by God. All of who you are is under God's control because God created everything that is. Every quark, every lepton, every electron, neutron, proton, everything all made by him. And he created the rules that every little speck and every little bit of nothingness between the specks, everything that everything in the universe obeys, all those rules of physics that we'll never know, all made by him. That means every particle, molecule, cell, every organ of your body, including your brain, made by him. Do you believe that? Because sometimes our hearts say we believe that, but then we act like we created ourselves. We would like to think that we are autonomous creatures, wouldn't we? Wouldn't that be nice? That while God rules over everything else, we rule over ourselves. I think we have an agreement with God. You rule over everyone else. I got me. When in fact, listen, God created our ability to even have that thought. And the feeling that we rule over ourselves, God gave us the ability to have that feeling. And as Almighty and Creator, God rules over your thinking and your thoughts and mine. And while that's true, that does not mean that your thoughts are an illusion, okay? They're real. We're not in the matrix. We're not robots. We're not programmed. Your thoughts are real. Everything that you're experiencing is, is real. Your free agency to make decisions is real. Your moral choices really are your choices made 100% by you. You and I are responsible for our decisions, good decisions and bad decisions. And at the same time, God is almighty and he is creator. And so our thoughts and decisions cannot hinder or impinge upon or frustrate his will. All that God wills, he accomplishes, right? For the hundredth time. God's authority over us as almighty creator is all-encompassing. We live and move and have our being within him. And we're responsible at the same time for what we think, say, and do. Are you starting to grasp this creation-creator distinction yet? God's not like us. He's not like us. He's so 
incomprehensibly big that we can't even understand how this works. Our temptation, what our sinful hearts want to do, because of pride, because we want to understand things, our temptation is to try and shrink God so we can understand him. If we make God out to be like a human, only just a really powerful version of a human, then maybe we can comprehend him. But listen, as soon as we try to make God's ways comprehensible to our finite creaturely minds, what's just happened? We've created God in our own image. We project our thoughts onto him. And what does he tell us? My thoughts are not like your thoughts. We begin to treat God like a human. And when we do that, we begin to accuse God of being unfair or unrighteous in what he's revealed about himself. But God is infinitely far and above that. We should never lower our view of God's almightiness in order to try to make sense of it. So listen, the best way to, to think about God is to think of him as he has revealed himself to us and confess God is almighty. God is maker of heaven and earth. When we confess God is almighty and creator, we are confessing we are his creatures. And being his creatures, just as Josh prayed, we have to humble ourselves. As his creatures, we humble ourselves and submit to his good purposes and his good design, and we trust his goodness in all things. You know what that's called? That's worship. That's worship. That's why the last implication of our confession that God is creator is that since God created everything, we should not worship anything that isn't God. That's, that's, really, that's really the main point of the creation story in Genesis. In Genesis 1 and 2, when Moses, led along by the Spirit, when he describes the, the six days of creation, he isn't writing a science textbook. He's teaching us something about God, and something about us, and something about creation. He's teaching us God made all that is. In the beginning, God, not created, not a created being, the eternal being, in the beginning, God created all that is. That means that the sun, shine, S-U-N, is not God. And the moon is not God. The earth and the sea and the wind and the stars and the mountains and the trees are not God. And we are not God. No created thing is God. So, so the Israelites who received Moses' writings, when they were surrounded by nations who were worshiping created things and calling those things gods, they were to see from the creation story the truth. Created things are not gods. They are made by God. Therefore, we ought not to worship those things. We ought to worship God and God alone. We ought. See, God created. Therefore, we should worship him. We ought to worship God and God alone. God alone is almighty. God alone is creator. God alone is worthy of our worship. 
That was God's message to the Israelites. That's God's message to us today. Same message. Same message. Paul delivered this message to the, to the Athenians on the Areopagus. We see this in Acts chapter 17. When the Apostle Paul went to Athens, his intent there was to proclaim the gospel as he did in every other city he went to. And when he's there, he runs into a group of, of, of philosophers, sophists. And they were unfamiliar with the story of the Bible. And so his message to them was very, very simple. God is almighty. God is creator. Therefore, we are accountable to him. Let me read this passage for us. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought, to, we ought not to think See how the, the, the belief and then the ought? We, being then his offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this... He has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See what he's teaching? The one true almighty God made all that is. That's what Paul's teaching here. And because he made all that is, he's almighty. He rules over all. And we're accountable to him. We answer to him. Whether we believe we're accountable doesn't matter. Whether we want to be accountable to God, it doesn't matter. On judgment day, we will have to give an account as to why we chose to worship created things rather than almighty creator. We will give an account as to why we sought after our own righteousness rather than received Christ's righteousness. We will give an account as to why we did what was right in our own eyes rather than what God has commanded is good and right. Only God is worthy of worship. Because only God is almighty. The right response for us in light of these things 
the right response for us is to worship him and him alone, no other. If you've been living, whoever you are, if you've been living as if you were only accountable to yourself and not to God Almighty, your maker, then listen to what Paul said to the Athenians. Repent. Repent. The time of ignorance is over. The time for worship begins today. Repent and trust that not only is God Almighty and Creator, He's Savior. Through Christ the Son, God has redeemed you from ignorance and selfishness and pride and sin of all sorts and idolatry. And how do we know that's true? How do we know what Christ has accomplished? What did Paul point to in that sermon? The Son died and he was resurrected. Look again at that last verse. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. How does God have resurrection power? Because he's almighty. Because he's creator. God is almighty. He is maker of heaven and earth. He is maker of you and me. And Christ has been raised to prove God's power. Turn to Christ. Worship God and God alone. Amen.